Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. On behalf of Pastors David and Nicole Binion, thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church. Now, let's listen to today's message. Well, this is amazing. Um, can you stay standing for just one moment? I want to do something. Um, let's first, uh, while they get back to their seat, can we honor Pastor David and Pastor Nicole? Okay. I'm going to give you another chance because that was a little tepid. I want you to give them real honor. Can we do that? Yeah. We love them so much, and it's very difficult for anyone who is not a pastor to understand the warfare that pastors go through, um, and you would hear pastors say that, and you think, well, I'm going through my own warfare, so whatever. They're just people. They're just humans, but I just want you to know that there's a little extra warfare uh, that goes on with those who, who carry uh, the presence of God and carry the Word of God, and so I want to, one more time, give you an opportunity to honor them in a way that out outlast the warfare. So can we honor them one more time? Yeah. They are worthy to be honored and blessed. Yes. At the end of the month, it was my birthday and our church went absolutely overboard in honor. Uh, and their their stated goal uh, was literally uh, for the honor to be louder than the warfare. And uh, it so blessed my soul at such a deep level that I want to make sure I pass that on wherever I go. Um, I want to do one other thing I just, uh, that's on my heart. I have a lot of great friends here. and um, But the, the scripture says in Proverbs 11, 25, the generous man or a generous soul will prosper and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. And I actually want us to do something tonight because at times people will stand before you or or sing or minister and pour out and you don't actually know uh, what they've actually gone through, what they're carrying in order to do so. And our friend Rita uh, has actually been walking through uh, quite a bit of heaviness uh, in this in this past season. So I just want us to pray that she be refreshed uh, in this moment. She she could have easily said, you know what, I don't I don't have it. I don't feel it. And every the billions would the Pastor David Nicole would have said, hey, totally understand, you know, get some rest, whatever. But yes, she came and she ministered and she poured out her heart to the Lord and we got a chance to hear it. And so I just want us to do something that I believe will be uh, significant for her that she can carry as well. Um, I have a friend uh, years ago who wrote a song uh, that said, you are the prince of peace and you are the prince of pieces of my broken heart or my shattered heart. And I just feel like the prince of peace wants to come and minister to you in this moment. So can we just stretch our hands in faith towards her and allow her to feel the faith of a community that surrounds her? and unholds up her arms. I don't know what happened to my mic. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. 
promise of your word that you are near to the brokenhearted. And so, Father, I thank you that in this moment you will make yourself even more near to your precious daughter. I thank you that your precious daughter is also your friend. And, Lord, you have not turned your back on your friend. But, Father, I thank you that in this moment you strengthen her. I thank you that you renew her, that her inward man is renewed and that her spirit is renewed. And, Father, I thank you that she is refreshed in this moment. Father, let her know that she is not alone. Family, would you pray? Would you pray for her? Would you pray for her? She's poured out so much to the body of Christ. Let this be a moment where the body pours back into her. Can she hear your faith? Can she hear your prayers? We know that the Lord hears your prayers if you pray soft, but we need her to know that there are people who are praying for her to be strengthened, praying for her, praying for her. Father, strength for weariness, strength for weariness in this season. Give her strength for weariness in this season. Father, I thank you for giving her strength for weariness in this season. Thank you, Lord. that she's laid out before you, you see and you hear. You see and you hear every prayer. Not only she's prayed for her own life, not only has she prayed for her own future, but even the future of her son. Father, I thank you that you see those things. You see those things and you will not be silent, but you will answer. You will not be silent, but you will answer. Father, I thank you for unexpected resource and provision coming in this season of her life. Father, I pray that you even cause anything which has been held up and blocked now. I pray for the release of it now. The resources from unexpected places would begin to come to her. And that which she has been concerned about, even in the area of financial resource, Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you will release that and it will be unexpected. Unblocked. Father, I thank you for breakthrough for Rita. I thank you, Father. I thank you for it. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you've ever been blessed by her, her ministry, Heart, her songs, her writings, her blog, her teaching, or anything like that. Can you just make some noise and let her know? I am going to, I know you've been standing for a while, but I have a tradition that I have uh, recovered at our church, and it may seem like an old churchy tradition, but it's actually something that as we see that biblical literacy and honoring the scripture has uh, begun to really wane within the generations alive on the earth and this nation. 
um, I've made it a point to make sure that we stand for the reading of the word because we honor the word above all other things. Uh, and so because of that, I'm going to read a few verses of scripture and then we will take our seat. Um, I'm going to read Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14. I'm going to start with verse 15. I read in the New Living Translation um, and it, this, this particular passage actually picks up in the middle of a dialogue that Jesus is having, uh, but we'll try to connect it with, with the Holy Spirit's help uh, in just a little bit. Hearing this, a man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied with this story. A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servants to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I now have a wife, so I can't come. <laughs> I didn't ask her. <laughs> The servant returned and told his master. That part was not in the scripture, by the way. Okay. The servant returned and told his master what they had said. His master was furious and said, Go quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. After the servant had done this, he reported, There is still room for more. So his master said, Go out into the country lanes and behind the hedges and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. Father, I pray that in these next few moments that we have together that your presence would be heavy, tangible, and known to everyone in this room. We need you, and we don't want to miss you. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak clearly. Father, I pray that you would anoint me to proclaim your word in such a way that goes beyond my preparation, beyond my ability, beyond my gift. And Father, you, by your spirit, would cause us to be seed that would take root in people's hearts and produce a harvest 30, 60, and 100-fold. Lord, I recognize my own, in the, my own limitations, and so I rely on your spirit. And I pray, as always, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be acceptable in thy sight, O oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Be glorified. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. You can be seated now. Thank you for standing with us. I am really um, honored to be here at Dwell. Um, the last time I was here, we weren't actually uh, in the Dwell building. I know you weren't in this building, but it's a beautiful thing to see this space that the Lord has given you. And um, I've had a specific assignment that the Lord has been giving me over this last uh, season here, but I actually felt um, to encourage and strengthen this gathering uh, in a way that I haven't been uh, necessarily doing because I've been challenging and provoking gatherings wherever I've been. So I actually get to be a little nicer today. Uh, and so I'm so, so grateful for that. I also want to shout out my good friend, uh, Lyle Phillips. I don't, Pastor Lyle Phillips, I don't call a lot of people friend anymore, uh, but he is. Uh, so uh, I'm so, so grateful uh, for him and to, to, to know someone who loves and pursues Jesus the way that he does just blesses me. Uh, and so I'm grateful for that. Did you stop or just kind of not hear you? Is that what it is? Oh, you're okay. <laughs> 
That is Clay Bogan uh, behind me. He is uh, a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, producer. Uh, but more than that, he is an, a phenomenal friend. I was actually talking with my friend Gabriel on the way over. Uh, we've been traveling together for more than a decade. And so I'm so, so grateful to continue to be able to do that with him. And also uh, my, my son, uh, Gabriel, is here with me. And I'm so excited about that, too. So, yeah. Um, I want to... Um, just there was a few things that have been stirring in my heart and, and so I just am believing that God's gonna put it all together somehow. <laughs> How about that? Um I don't exactly know what made you come to dwell, um, but I have a sneaking suspicion as to what made you come to dwell. You may not articulate it. You may not be able to say it, whether you attend Dwell Church or you decide to come to Dwell Conference. You, you, it, it could not be because just you saw some guests and decided, hey, I think this will be cool and, and, and stuff like that. But when you choose to actually come to a place, particularly for those of you who came out from out of town, um, there's typically something we would call it spiritual, but I would say in your subconscious that's hungry for something. There, there, there's something that you long for. There's something that you can't necessarily articulate, but what you what you feel like is if it's somehow if I could just get to that atmosphere, if I could just get to to where it's happening, then maybe it whatever it is that I can't articulate might begin to happen in me or or around me, or maybe I'll find a key that'll unlock something that will allow something to happen in, in my church or in my family or in my life. And I just kind of feel like this gathering um, is, a, is a, a prophetic gathering uh, that's really on the heart of God. And But because it's a prophetic gathering on the heart of God, I want to give us some prophetic context for the season that we're in because the season that we're in is actually one that's been pretty challenging for people to give context to. Um, it's been very, very challenging for people to give context to. There's, there's this great dichotomy that is existing in this, in this season. It's like the dichotomy of Jesus um, riding in triumphantly on a donkey. The way that we look at that, we look at the scripture, we, we call it Palm Sunday, where they laid down their palms and they said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's all this celebration that's going on around Jesus, but what's going on inside of Jesus, the writer of Luke or Luke lets us know uh, that he actually, as he approached the city, was weeping. So they're celebrating, but he's weeping. And the reason why he's weeping is because he says, you missed your day of visitation. And so literally there were some people who understood what was happening and other people who did not know what was happening. And because of that, there was a whole group of people who accepted him and a whole group of people who rejected him all together. And so we have these, these dichotomies that, that happen that, that we can't explain. I, the last time I was in this city, I was in this city in the middle of a dichotomy. It was this, this past March where we, we uh, buried my father-in-law who passed away from COVID. And it was such a dichotomy because of, of how that happened and what the Lord did. A testimony that I literally rarely ever tell for, for the reason of being completely sensitive, mainly to my wife, who I know is watching. 
but I don't, I don't even tell the testimony uh, of, of that dichotomy because the dichotomy is so, it, it just kind of describes the season. So let me, let me explain it to you for just a moment. Um, literally what happened, within 10 minutes of each other, we found out that both of our fathers were in ICU. While I'm on the phone, and my, they, they said that my father had passed out in a store, and they, they, they feared that he had a stroke, and so they're rushing him to the hospital. I'm on the phone with him, and while I'm on the phone with him, she gets to call your dad. Wow. It's in the ICU because of COVID. And so now we're like, okay, the Lord... We, we really, we're going to pray. So we literally prayed. And, and I, I go, my wife and I go to church. We, we worship together. We, we believe God together. And we're praying for the healing of both of our dads. And, and by that, that morning, this was on a Saturday, by Sunday, literally what happened was my dad called and said, hey, um, they, they don't think I had a stroke at all. They actually, in the middle of the night, came and did some tests and told me that they see tumors and masses all over my brain. And they said, there's nothing that we can do about it. And so we'll try to see if we can make you comfortable, take some MRIs and see if maybe there's a surgical option at all. But essentially, you know, can prep for chemo or just kind of go home and, and, and we won't do anything about it. So I'm going to church in the morning with the knowledge that my father has tumors in his brain and her father is in ICU. This is the dichotomy of the moment. I'm, I'm up ministering. And the Lord gives me a word of knowledge about the fact that he is literally reversing the diagnosis of someone with cancer. What I did not know was that the word of knowledge that the Lord gave me to release in that service was my dad. By the end of the service, I got a text from him that said they just took another MRI and there are no tumors anywhere. The Lord is good. I thought y'all might give him a little bit more praise than that. Just hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. And this has been months later now. He just went back. There's still nothing there. The Lord completely, completely and totally. This is the kind of season that we're in. There was another, another uh, Sunday where a gentleman came in and, and God had given me a word of knowledge about him healing brain cancer. And, and literally the man walked in to the back while I was saying, just walked into the church while I was saying it. Uh, came down to front to receive prayer. Just came back a few weeks ago. His brain cancer is completely gone. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. This is the kind of season that we are still in. Uh, it is so important for us as, as a family of believers. I, I need to make sure I say this. It's so important for us as a family of believers to continue to exalt the fact that our God is a healer, even in the face of everything that we've seen in the last two and a half years. Our God is still a healer. That never changed. <laughs> So this dichotomy exists because, of course, when the Lord healed my dad, we're thinking, okay, we know what's getting ready to happen now. He's going to heal her dad. And he did do that, but he did it in eternity. And so we had to walk through, how does this season make sense? Um, and so that's one of the reasons why I literally, I don't even tell the testimony what the Lord did for my dad out of respect for my wife's heart. Because literally, we had to lean in on the sovereignty of God. 
that he knows what he's doing, that he's intimately involved in the affairs of our life, that there's nothing outside of his control, and therefore, he did not ignore you. And so it's been a challenge. And so I know that for some of you, um, some of the things that are being said in this season are also a challenge for you. But you won't admit that. You're still coming to church. You're still coming to conferences. You're still worshiping. But at the same time, you're like, okay, I'm going to try this again. I'm going to lift my hands again. I'll worship again, and you won't actually admit that you've been disappointed. But then you come here, and you hope that something, somebody says, unlocks something in you to make you believe again. So I want to, by the help of the Holy Spirit, try to give us a, a, a biblical context for what God is doing prophetically and then to encourage this body not to miss out on what God is doing. And the reason I want to encourage this body not to miss out on what God is doing is because there are some proclamations that are being made right now that that are true but premature. And as a result of being true but premature, there's some people who are basically, they're making certain proclamations to, to mask their disappointment. So I'm going to give you an example. We are in a moment in time through biblical history and church history, according to scripture, that is right for the generations on earth right now to experience revival. You see that? It was like, because we've heard revival over and over and over and over. And now what we've decided to do is because we haven't seen it the way we thought, we just say, I am revival. You don't actually recognize, are y'all all right? <laughs> and, so, and so what we've done is we've basically said, okay, well, since it's not coming like we think, we'll call something else that. And I want you to know, I want you to know as I was literally sitting and praying and asking the Lord, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? What do you want to say? Because I don't just want to say, because if I told you what was, what's been on my heart, it's been a whole lament. You wouldn't like it. <laughs> but there is a great move of God coming to this house. I recognize that not everyone who is attending right now is a part of this house, but God drew you here to hear it. And I don't want your jealousy to keep you from rejoicing about what the Lord just said about this house. There is a great move of God coming to dwell church. There is a great move of God coming to this house. There are those of you, you may not call them pastor, but you just admitted that you call them mom and dad. And so because of that, you can receive the cry of your pastors and has gathered a group of hungry people. And this cry will be answered. It is a cry that both has words and is wordless. It's often what I term the misunderstood cry. And that is this, God had to provoke Hannah to cry 
because he could not allow her to make peace with disappointment. And so the way that he provoked Hannah to cry was to cause Peninnah to taunt her about what she had and that Hannah did not yet have. And so because God could not allow her to go silent, so because he needed her to partner with him. Because while she wanted a son, God wanted a prophet. So he couldn't let her go quiet, so he had to provoke her cry instead. And there's some of you in this room that you didn't recognize it or not, but this last season has been about awakening or provoking your cry. I said this at another conference. I need to say it here. Sometimes when you sleep too hard, you have to be shaken to be awakened. And there is a shaking that has been happening in the earth and the purpose of the shaking is to awaken a sleeping church and to awaken a cry that some of you have let go dead. He cannot allow you to have a cry that goes dead because there's something that he wants to birth in the earth and he's looking for a people who will cry out for it. Is there anybody in this room who says, Lord, awaken my cry and I dare you that if you have one in you, it may be a wordless cry, but it's the kind of thing that lets heaven know I'm awake now and I want what you have for me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Some of you are literally going to have to get to the point like Hannah. Hannah's not my message tonight. But I got to stay here for just a moment. Um, some of you are literally going to have to get to the point where you, you look at Elkanah or, and, and you say, you, when Hannah started crying out or being sad for not having a son, he looked at her and he said, what's wrong with you? Aren't I better than 10 sons? Or am I better than 10 children? And some of you are going to have to look at the thing that's telling you, why are you crying out for something else when you have me? Some of you have to say, I appreciate you. I appreciate the blessing that you've been and everything else. But what I'm hungry for, you aren't. And there's going to have to be something on the inside of you that says, I am going to ignore Elkanah and I'm going to cry out for what God has for me. <laughs> And I call it the misunderstood cry because some of you in this room, even now, you are, you are uh, still waiting for it. Should I, should I jump in yet? Is this my moment? And it's the misunderstood cry. Why? Because literally when she goes into the temple, her lips are moving, but no sound is coming out. And the priest, Eli, who was already going blind, his sight was dim. Uh, he looks at her and he says, uh, aren't you, you're not supposed to come here drunk. Hannah's like, I'm not drunk at all. I, I'm actually crying out for something. That's a misunderstood cry. Some of you, you've actually gone silent in this season because literally you got tired of people looking at you like, why are you still crying out for this? Don't you understand that the church has moved on? Don't you understand that the season has moved on? Don't you understand that we're not here anymore? And I came to announce to you that what's literally been happening is this entire season is because God came to answer an initial cry from his people. This shaking is here because God came to answer a cry and to provoke a cry at the same time. I'm going to teach in just a moment, but I wonder if there's anybody left in this room who might say, I don't care if I'm misunderstood. I will cry out to God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. 
thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Sometimes you can look at people like your pastors, David and Nicole, and not fully understand them and not fully understand what they are after. Every time I hear Pastor David speak, literally every time, he hearkens back to a moment that he had with God where he was literally under a piano for four hours. That felt like a few minutes. And he's not telling that story because he has nothing else to say. He's not telling that story because it's his only ever encounter. He's not telling that story because he didn't study. He, he's actually telling that story over and over because literally he, he's after something. I'm going to help it make sense in just a moment. He, he's, he's after something. Um, uh, uh, Bishop Garlington, who was here this morning and last night, uh, he tells stories about how he was in Toronto and how he literally spent so much time weeping uh, at the front of the church, which many of you call an altar, but it's only an altar for sacrifices made, so I'll just say the front of the church. And so <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, weeping at the front of the church so long to the point where they had turned off the lights and they were vacuuming and stuff and he, he tells these these stories and, and and pastor david tells these stories and what's most amazing about them is that they don't they don't talk about their experiences reminiscing you would think that's what they're doing but they're not just reminiscing about the past but instead they continue to tell these stories to stir hunger Once you've had an encounter with God, nothing else satisfies. On Instagram a few days ago, Church of Laugh, I think it was, put up a, a, a meme that said, would you take $1 trillion or 10 minutes with Jesus? And the majority of the responders said, I'll take the money. Now, you would think, well, they were just joking. They put all the laughing emojis and all that kind of stuff. But if you've had an encounter, there's no way in the world. You wouldn't even joke about it. You, you wouldn't even joke about money which perishes and that you cannot take with you and that cannot buy your eternal salvation or your peace or your joy or anything else. Once you've had an encounter, I want to let you know it completely ruins you. The taste of anything else doesn't satisfy. In fact, once you've been in the presence of Jesus, being in the presence of anyone else is underwhelming. If people ask me all the time, who is it that you'd really want to meet that would make your jaw drop you won't be able to speak? Nobody. Because I've been with Jesus. And there is this invitation that, that literally has been extended. Um, it's much like those patriarchs that Hebrews talks about. There's this phrase that I can't get over. 
uh, that God refers to a group of people um, in Hebrews 11, and, and he says that he was not ashamed to be called their God. I literally can't get over that phrase. It's not that they said they're not ashamed to call him their God. Yeah. He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's not referred to as Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's God. But the God of, he literally was like, I, I, I'm willing to be associated with them. Why was he willing to be associated with them? Because literally every one of them, once they had an encounter with him, lived their life on earth as if earth didn't matter and heaven was home. Abraham actually got to the physical place that God promised him and lived there as a soldier. Intense. The promise, actually, he was in Canaan and was like, I'm looking for something else. And God said, I'm so happy with these people that I'm not ashamed to be called their God. I'm actually going somewhere. Just stay with me for a second. I'm looking at these people and how the Lord looks at people like this who say, like Paul, I lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. What you are seeing and hearing when Pastor David and Nicole and others um, is a cry to lay hold of what first laid hold of them. And as a result of that cry, there's a reason why I asked you to cry out. We'll, we'll get there in a moment. They have experienced in their life at one time or another genuine revival. And because they've experienced it, they are unsatisfied with anything less. It did something to them that literally caused them to say, I want to build a house for God. A place for him to dwell. A place where he can pour out his spirit when everyone else says we don't want it. Now I know that you don't think that that's what people are actually saying, but I want you to know I've decided to no longer sugarcoat the way that many people who call themselves Christians live. They live half-hearted lives, lukewarm lives, that actually say we don't want Jesus. They want him on their terms. They want him in their time. They want him in their time frame. They want all of these things. And so now we have a scenario. I, I know we're not going to go forever tonight, but we have a scenario where literally people are thinking about everything else they want to do except for be in the presence of God. <laughs> Revival, perpetual awakening perpetual turning towards God, perpetual acknowledgement of our need for God, a perpetual pursuit which wards off complacency and specifically the response of God to the cry of his people. If I had to give you an individual definition for revival, here it is. You might want to write it down. Revival is the response of God to the cry of his people. 
and I'll say it again. Revival is the response of God to the cry of his people. Revival is for his people. Because you can't be revived if you weren't first vibed. If you weren't first alive. So I recognize that oftentimes when we talk about revival, we tend to think about it in terms of what happens out there. That's called an awakening. It's a different definition altogether. Revival is for the church. Now, the interesting thing is this. A church that is in need of revival is not in a state that deserves one. Because it means that at some level, we've become lukewarm. We've, we've turned away from God. We, we've, we've not allowed him to be the center of our focus. And, and unfortunately, um, there is a reality. There are a couple immutable laws. I'll give them to you right here. No cry, no revival. No cry, no revival. Revival will not come to the silence. It will not come to the silent. No cry, no revival, and no repentance, no revival. There is no revival without repentance. It is an immutable law. There is no revival without repentance. You won't find it in Scripture. There is no revival without repentance. There is no revival without a cry. Now, I've been preaching repentance for two and a half years. I'm not preaching that tonight. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. So if we are in a moment that has been very difficult for people to make sense of, um, have to, to navigate very carefully because we've, we've had a lot of um, prophetic ministry that has not allowed us to fully see the biblical picture. Because the truth of the matter is, for this season, God hid his counsel for this season in his word. <laughs> if you want to know what God is doing in this moment, the word makes it very clear. Our dreams might not, but his word Okay. <laughs> a biblical and prophetic context through the lens of scripture helps us to understand and make sense of the season that we're in. So I'm going to take an unconventional approach here to help us understand and build a biblical framework for where we are in time. Now, this is the only time I'll do this because all of us preachers retired this thing in 2020. But since it's 2022, um, we'll, we'll resurrect it for one night. Would you look at somebody next to you? <laughs> Y'all know we haven't done that for like two, two whole years. You're like, all the introverts are like, I love that. Thank God. <laughs> Don't talk to me in church. Don't shake my hand. Don't do nothing. <laughs> As an introvert, I was really upset when we had no more lockdowns. I was like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I learned as an introvert that what people call quarantine is my normal life. <laughs> I said, oh, everybody was complaining with the extroverts. The introverts were like, thank you. 
<laughs> All right, so introverts, I gave you enough laughter to get your strength up. Look at your neighbor and ask him this question, do you know what time it is? <laughs> Don't look at your watch, it won't tell you. We are on the precipice of something big. And though I can't give you a pinpoint time, it certainly feels like we're in a divine moment. The Greek word that people use for this would be a kairos moment, an opportune time, a set time, a time in the mind and the heart of God. We are currently in what is known now, you're going to have to put your thinking caps on for just a little bit. My anecdotes are over now, all right? <laughs> we are currently in what is commonly known as the church age or the age of grace. That's the age that we are in right now. And there is a set time in the mind of God for everything that is not known to man. Therefore, man can never take grace for granted. I want to build a context for this. We are living in a grace period both the age that we're in and the generation so there is an overarching grace period that we are in which we have been in since Jesus that is the grace age or the period that we've been in since Jesus and at the same time we are also within this generation in a grace period i'm going to tell you how i know that in just a moment um the age of grace inherited or initiated by god through the coming of the lord is accessed by faith ephesians 2 tells us that for by grace you have been saved through faith and it's not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no man can boast so we know then that god is the one who initiated the grace period by sending Christ. That is the age that we are in. Now, the lens of eschatology tells us that the day of the Lord is coming like a thief in the night when we least expect it, and we are instructed to prepare. That is how we are to live. We are to live in perpetual preparation or perpetual readiness. And I told you that repentance is not my message, but repentance is the way to live in perpetual readiness because it is a perpetual turning towards God and turning away from the things of the world and the love of the things of the world. So it is an acknowledgement that we need God and that's how we stay ready. We at the same time uh, must resist falling into a comfortable and complacent posture as it relates to the grace of God. A position that says that upright living doesn't matter and that sin doesn't matter literally spits in the face of Jesus because grace is not just a nebulous thing. It is a person. It is embodied in a person. Grace is Christ himself. God initiated grace by sending Christ. So it is not just that we can live however we want to because if we live however we want to, what we're testifying, according to 1 John, is that he's not in us at all. That's another message for another day. We must never forget that the age of grace initiated by mercy, hear me, ends in judgment. 
I want to let that sit on you for just a moment so that you can think about it. Because a lot of us um, who are who are living a little loosey-goosey right now, I just want to help you not to do that because um, he already came and initiated grace. When he comes again, he comes to judge the world. The second coming is a glorious thing for the believer. It is a terrible thing for the unbeliever because he's not coming again in grace. (laughs) So when he comes again, which is going to be like a thief in the night, in other words, because I can I just kind of tell you one of the reasons why I believe we have a whole uh, industry in the Western world for eschatology and end times is because people are trying to figure out how long they can live bad before they have to get right. So if I can figure out when Jesus is coming, I can party until then. If I can figure out when he's coming, I can live crazy until then. No, no, no. He's coming like a thief in the night. And there are going to be some people who are not going to be ready. Now, I recognize that's not popular preaching in 2022, uh, but I just kind of need to say that this whole generation needs to hear it again because we have a whole generation that's living in sin while saying they belong to Christ and they are lying to themselves, to God, and to the world. That's not my message either. (laughs) We are in an overarching grace period. It's the overarching period that we're in. When it ends, we do not know, so we cannot live crazy. The wages of sin, the scripture says, is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life, we know through Christ. So the whole earth was in sin, and this holy God sent his son, and instead of judging the earth for its sin, initiated a grace period. I'm trying to help us build here, because if I just said some things, you'd be like, I don't agree with you. But now, after I finish, if you don't agree, you don't agree with the word, not me. In the age of grace, God, the divine initiator, also initiates within generations, which is what he's doing now. It's called, I keep using this term, a grace period. What is a grace period? We'll use a natural definition for a grace period to help you understand. It is a period of time beyond the due date in which an obligation may be met without penalty. It is a period of time beyond the due date in which an obligation can be met without penalty. So it is, as you know, this is when it is due. But when you don't uh, are are not able to pay, you actually get a grace period. That is when something is supposed to happen. However, a grace period allows for the extension of time. So how then do you know if you've entered into a grace period generationally? Because we are in a grace period by the age, how do you know that you've entered into a grace period generationally? I will let you know when a divine catalyst comes to produce urgency. When a divine catalyst comes to produce an urgency to do what should have already been done, that's how you know within a generation you've entered into a grace Can I keep going? 
this is why it is important that we do not ignore the signs of the age. It's important that we do not ignore the signs of the age. I want you to listen to the, the discourse, what I call the Olivet Discourse, which Jesus is having with his disciples uh, in Matthew chapter 24. Um, the Bible says this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. I know I told you on NLT, but I'm reading the ESV uh, on this one just for the sake of the accuracy of the words here. All right. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us when these things will be and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age. This is a very important word here. And the end of the age. And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and they will lead many astray and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are but the beginning of birth pains. Are y'all here? Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake, and many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and there'll be many false prophets that arise and lead them astray, and because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but he, the one who endures to the end, will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Let's talk about some words here for just a moment. They asked Jesus, tell us the sign of your coming and the end of the age. The word age is this word. I'm not trying to get to whatever, but aeon, which is a space of time or a cycle of time. Age is a cycle of time. He was saying, they were asking, tell us when the end of a cycle of time will happen. Now, the reason why this is so, so important is because those of us in the Western church, because of our eschatology, we always look at Matthew 24 every time something happens and we're like, oh, it's about to happen. It's about to happen. He's about to crack the sky. The trumpet's about to blow. You look in the clouds like, is that an angel? <laughs> you wondering, okay, like, did, did I miss did I miss the trumpet? Like, you, you check in to see if people still here that you think walk with God. <laughs> An age is a cycle of time. Somebody say an age is a cycle of time. I'm using this to help us with context so we understand where we are. Because I asked you, do you know what time it is? An age is a cycle of time. When you come to the end of a space or a cycle of time, that means that something new is about to burst forth. And so Jesus says, these are the signs of the end of the age. 
the signs of the end of the age is you will, many will follow false Christ. Um, in other words, idolatry uh, will take place. You will hear wars and rumors of wars. Um, Luke goes on to add into this discourse, you will see things like uh, famine and pestilence. Pestilence, which means global disease. Or specifically, biblically defined, an instrument of God's judgment for the purpose of turning God's people's hearts back to him. These are the signs of the end of the age. This has been one of the most heartbreaking things to watch. The church ignore the signpost. Because everybody wants to go back to normal, they try to ignore the shaking. And as a result, what happens is we blame everything on the devil as if he actually has that much power. I just want to help you with your theology of the devil. Okay, let me help you with this. I know theology and devil don't go together. I, just, I, I said that to wake you up. Let me help you. The devil is not sitting across from God on a chessboard, comic, cosmic chessboard of life, and we're trying to see who's going to win. He's not sitting across from God in that way. It's not good versus evil. I know the movies have told you that, but he's already defeated. He's not sitting across from God equally playing chess with God. I need you to help. I need you to understand he's a piece on the board he's not a cross from God playing he's a piece on the board he can only do what God allows him to do he's just a dog on a leash if you don't believe me read the book of Job he cannot do whatever he wants he can only do what God allows <laughs> so can I ask the church a question? I know that this, what I'm saying right here is not popular, but can I ask the church a question? Is the devil so powerful that the whole church can rebuke something and it doesn't move? Might we ask at some point, God, what are you saying? What is it that you might be doing if the whole earth is shaking, if our nation is shaking, instead of us just saying, this is the devil, we just need to ignore it and go back. I need you to know you're going to miss the time. All right. I know, I know, I know. Whenever these types of global events are happening, it's an indication of either. Now, this is, this is, this is how amazing God is. It's either the end of all time or the end of a cycle of time. The thing is, we don't know which one. We don't know when these kinds of things happen, if it's the end of everything or just the birthing of a new season. That is how the divine initiator puts urgency into time. He who lives outside of time initiates a grace period within a generation by doing something to allow that generation to know that, hey, I need you to wake up. I'm getting ready to do something. How do we know? Because you would think about it for just one moment. Don't you think that every pastor who was preaching during World War I thought it was the end? <laughs> We, we act like we're the first generation to ever go through this. It is throughout the scripture and it's throughout church history. We're not the first generation to go through this. 
I just don't want us to be the generation to miss it. <laughs> Can I tell you how much God loves us? He allows Matthew 24 type events to happen within every generation so that no one misses him. Because the things that are in Matthew 20, time moves in a linear fashion, but history is revealed in cycles. <laughs> that's, that's what he does to allow us to see him and his activity so that we don't miss him. In other words, Matthew 24 is not a singular event. It is a circular event. Can I say it again? It is not a singular event. It is a circular event. And what he does to produce urgency in every generation is what he starts to do is he allows whenever he sees that a generation has become complacent, whenever he sees that a generation starts to run after idols, whenever he sees that a generation is starting to drift towards destruction, he allows cataclysmic type events to get the attention of his people. Western eschatology has misinterpreted these passages because the Western eschatology, which all of us are in the West, so we, we understand we're talking about all of us, views any sort of trouble and suffering as the end. The problem is that doesn't work for our brothers in India. That doesn't work for our brothers in Africa. That doesn't work for our brothers in the Middle East. When we're talking about we're under persecution because people don't like our Facebook posts. When there are people who are literally living under the threat of death every single day just for naming the name of Christ. <laughs> so I just, I, can, I, can I help you with, when you read the scripture? If you would take your American lens off and ask the question, if you can't see a kingdom perspective, if you can't see a kingdom perspective, just ask if your interpretation of that scripture would actually work if you had to preach at a house church in China. Because if it doesn't work there, if your definition of the blessing of the Lord is houses and cars, you might be preaching the American dream, but not the Bible. It doesn't work. If it doesn't work everywhere, it's not Bible. So, the admonition in moments like this, I'm, I'm going too long already, um, is to be ready or to live ready. We, we, we stay ready. We're, 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 we're not supposed to, I, I know that we talk about all the time, get ready, you know, but, but actually we're supposed to stay ready. We don't actually turn, turn this off and like we're, we're Christians in here, but, but we're not out there and, and stuff like that. that. That's really messing with the world. Watch your life and your doctrine, as Paul writes to Timothy, yes. so that in doing so, not only do you save yourself, but also those others. I'm all over the place. Okay. 
So Matthew 24 is a reverberation of the love of God throughout generations until the end comes. So it's, he's like, I will allow this to happen age after age so that mankind won't forget and drift. And so that believers will pray and so that the dead man will be made alive. So the end of an age, at the end of every age, there is turbulence. Otherwise known to us in church circles as a shaking. The end of every age and the beginning of every new age has a shaking attached to it. It has, it has turbulence in it. And so we are in and have been in a turbulent time. I recognize that most people are trying to basically say, ignore it, hold on, let's just get back to normal, act like nothing's going on. And I'm like, no, don't do that. Because what if God never intended on it being normal again? What if he actually came to wake up his church? What if he actually wanted people to repent? What if he actually wanted people to turn to him? What if he actually wanted to answer people's cry and send revival? So, what I want you to know is that's the tension of this moment. One of the strangest tensions is sensing spiritual urgency while watching and experiencing spiritual apathy. We have a whole bunch of people who are literally living in spiritual apathy, have no sense of urgency whatsoever. And what, what, what I really, and this, this is not a part of, of my notes here, but I want you to understand just so that I can put a button on this particular part and then I'll move to the last part. If I put a button on this part, this, this is what God does. He allows things to happen. Why did they happen? So I'm here, right? Why did it happen? If this is before, it happened because hungry people cried out. And when hungry people cried out, in the midst of dead people, God sent a shaking as an answer to the cry of the hungry. Can I say it again? When hungry people cried out to God, he heard them. Okay, okay, okay. You're like, okay. Um, what, what, why, how, why? Our scripture that we love to quote right now, like everybody, especially, especially in March of 2020, everybody was like this. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray, I would hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And we're like, see if... Can I help you? That was God's response to Solomon's prayer. Solomon said, God, if people go astray from you, if they turn their back on you, if they run after idols, if they do all this sinful stuff and they come here and pray, would you hear from heaven? And, and if, they, if they start sleeping around and they start doing all this other stuff, but they come here and pray, would you hear from heaven? And God said, Solomon, I heard your prayer. And I've chosen this place. And in response to your prayer, if my people actually do what you said, and they come and they pray and they turn, I will. Because... I love this. Repentance comes with a promise. 
return to me and I will return to you. How did we get here? We got here because people like this kept saying we experienced something and we're looking around the generation and we don't see it. God, send us revival. God, send us revival. God, send us revival. And he said, okay, I will, but I got to wake up everybody first and they're so sleep that I got to send the shaking to the earth. Yeah, yeah. Which means, on God's calendar, if we're at shaking, what's next is the answer to the cry. Did you hear what I just said? If we are here now, then that means that on God's calendar, the opportune time, the Kairos moment, the Kairos time is that what's next is revival. It has happened throughout biblical history and it has happened throughout church history and because he's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore, we can count on it. You can set your clock by it and say, I know what is coming to the earth. What is coming to the earth is revival and I will not prematurely name it. I'm not going to call a couple of good services revival. I know what's coming. But here, I'm finishing now. Here is where our opportunity to respond to what God is doing is so critical. You're like, why in the world did you read Luke 14 when you said all this other stuff? Like, you just reading the scripture to make it seem like you're preaching? I read Luke 14 for a very specific reason. Because I picked up the part where Jesus responded to a man. But I didn't read what the man said. Because it's important for us to recognize where we are. We are at a moment. I can't tell you when. But I can tell you it's coming. And I will not be duped by those who are telling us that it already is. (laughs) Because they aren't hungry for it anyway. We must not make the assumption of inclusion. And this is where it gets a little heavier. And I'm going to sit down. Luke 14, I started with verse 15, but let's go back to verse 7. When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head of the table, he gave them this advice. When you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has also been invited? The host will come and say, give this person your seat, then you will be embarrassed and you'll have to take whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Instead, take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. 
for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then he turned to his host. He said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, and rich neighbors for they will invite you back. And that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Then at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Now, I'm teaching this particular passage of scripture via principle. I recognize the theological implications of the next portion of this actually has to do with the rejection of God's original people and the inclusion of the Gentiles into the faith. So I'm not teaching extra biblical here. What I'm actually doing is drawing a principle. I said that for all of you who will be like, okay, that's not what that scripture means. Hearing this, this is where we started. A man sitting at the table with Jesus exclaimed, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. <laughs> Jesus looks at the man and it's like, let me tell you a story. <laughs> a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests come and the banquet is ready. Jesus is like reading this dude's mail. Because the dude made what I call the assumption of inclusion. The assumption of inclusion is this. You sit here, you come to dwell church, you come to dwell conference, you listen to preaching like this, uh, you listen to Pastor Lau tomorrow, you listen to Bishop Garlington, and now you have a prophetic forecast, a picture, and you think you know what God is doing, and you automatically assumed it because you were here. And because you heard it, that you now are going to be included as if you have no responsibility. And unfortunately, unfortunately, our churches are filled with people who think that they are going to be included in the move of God by proximity. Yes, yes, yes. You will not be included in the move of God by proximity. It will require some things of you. And so what Jesus ends up doing is he's, he's saying, okay, um, a man prepared a feast and sent out many invitations. What is that? That is the first invitation. Now, I asked you to talk to your neighbor and ask them this question, what time is it? The reason why I asked you to say that is because when, these, when this parable was told in this time, there were no clocks. So a banquet or a feast took a while to prepare. So there was an invitation that went out to say, you're invited to it. That was the first invitation. If a person was receiving another invitation, it was because they had already indicated that they were in. So Jesus says to the man who assumes that he's going to be included. He says, um, I, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. The first invitation, when the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests. That is the second invitation, <laughs> which is where we are. Come, the banquet is ready. But they all began making excuses. 
One said, I've just bought a field and I must expect it. inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Another said, I have a wife, so I can't come. So the servant returned and told his master what they had said and his master was furious and said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the town and invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. In other words, invite those who actually want to be here. Invite those who actually want to be in the presence. Some people operate off of the assumption that inclusion into the things of God is automatic. And however, the choices you make have the most direct impact on your inclusion or exclusion from the move of God or the things of God. It would be amazing, the man said, to eat bread in the feast of the kingdom, assuming his attendance and the assumption of inevitability or that it's just going to happen no matter what I do or how I choose to live. But here's the thing. It will happen. The question is, will you be there? I know we can't get a lot of claps right there. Because that's the moment of Holy Spirit introspection. For about 20 years, I've watched this man and his wife, before I knew them personally, say whatever it takes, whatever it costs us, no matter what the price is, no matter where we have to be, we want to be there. We want to be in it. We want to be a part of it. We'll sell our house. We'll move cities. We'll, we'll leave comfortable jobs. We'll plant a church. We'll do whatever to host to be a part and then you came because something in you said I wanted to you didn't actually know why you came let me tell you why you came you came because you said I want to be in on it the problem is the culture around you is telling you you don't have to do anything the first invitation is to say this you're invited to come and be with me. The second invitation is this. Now it's time to leave whatever you have given priority over the kingdom. This is the part. This is why I came to Dallas in the middle of my sabbatical to say this. If you think that you can get in on the things of God while not leaving what you've given priority over the things of God, you're going to miss it problem is this, we're so near it now, can I help you, you're not going to like this, the shaking isn't over, I know that we want to say it's over, I know we want to act like it's over, but prophetically speaking, it's not over yet. We are in an overlapping cycle. And in an overlapping cycle, there is always turbulence. What is the overlapping cycle? The end of one thing and the beginning of another. And in the overlap, there's always turbulence. But when it settles down, the decisions that you make in this moment are going to determine where you're seated. 
as I end, I want you to know that God is going to answer the cries of some people who have been faithful to him for a long time, including this house. But just because you come doesn't mean you'll experience it. Don't assume inclusion. The question now is what are you willing to do to get it? This is the part because here, here, Pastor Lyle, I have been preaching repentance at my church for two whole years. And I'm like, God, why you still have me preach repentance? Because, like, these are the same people. <laughs> like, if y'all ain't got it by now. <laughs> so this is the truth. David and Nicole heard me say this at a conference recently the absolute truth I sat on my back porch by my pool because everybody has a pool in Florida <laughs> and I said God please give me something happy because the real reason why I would come to dwell conference in the middle of my sabbatical is because the more I preach repentance the less I got invited places nobody want to hear. I remember at the beginning of 2020, because everybody was like, well, you know, you're a prophetic voice. We want to hear what the Lord is saying, whatever. And so, <laughs> and everybody was doing these Zooms, you know. Mm -hmm. They'd bring me on and I would speak. And not only would they not comment, but they never called back. <laughs> So repentance, the message of repentance cost me a lot of friends, which is why I said to them, I don't call a lot of people friends, because I discovered that I had a lot of lukewarm friends. And at first I was like, I don't, I don't want to call them that. I don't, you know, I feel like I'm being a spiritual elitist and all that kind of stuff. But I recognize, I guess a whole lot of people that don't love Jesus. They don't. I know that's hard for y'all to hear. Some of your favorite people don't love Jesus. <laughs> that was messy. It's true. So I asked the Lord, please give me something happy. So I'm sitting there all day because he's not talking. Now, I'm not about to go say anything he's not saying. So I'm like, okay, Lord, please give me something happy. And finally, he spoke to me. And he said this, my people love the world more than me. And so then I'm like crying. <laughs> because he didn't just say the world loves the world. He said, my people love the world more than me. If I were to put it in the terms of this gathering, this context right here, they say they want revival until it costs them. 
they say they want my presence until it's 9.53. They say they want to be with me until I say my process for grooming you is in hiddenness. Not every song you write is public. Ten years ago, I started singing, Only you can satisfy my heart. Only you can satisfy my soul. Only you can satisfy just now released it 10 years later because I couldn't lie to the people because I said I want Jesus until the awards pass you over and he's showing me no there's something in your heart that loves the world so I had to go back and say only you can satisfy my heart only you can satisfy song until it was true. Because if it's not true, I, you can sing a lie as easy as you can tell one. <laughs> and so, oh my God, there's still stuff in me. I say I want you, but actually, I'm leading worship with one eye on you and one eye on the pastor to see whether or not he likes it rather than finding out if you like it.
divided loyalty creates a condition in the believer called instability. And the scripture says that false teachers prey on the unstable. How is it that we are in this condition right now? But we have a whole bunch of people who said, I want revival. And then God said, okay, it's ready. But I need you to come out of that life. I need you to lay down the thing that you love more than me. That's what I want you to do. And we have a whole bunch of people now that are like, yeah, 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 I just want normal. But if you came to draw curtains, why would you come to the house of parents who do everything they can to host him if you don't want to be with him? believe that what the Lord wants to do in this moment is to come for your heart. Do you actually want what you say you want? Because if you want what you say you want, let me just tell you, there is a difference in the way we are to live. Don't be deceived. There's a whole lot of people out there in front of us right now who live contrary lives. And the Spirit of God is coming now to see, do you love him? I know I said I'm ending and I am. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, keep the commandments he said which ones and Jesus names several but he doesn't list the first one because he was trying to show the man you don't actually keep the first one because when the Pharisees tried to trap Jesus they asked him what's the greatest commandment he said love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul and all your mind and the second one is equally, equally as important as that love your neighbor as yourself. So he was showing the man, you don't actually love me with all your heart, soul, and mind. How did he do that? Instead of just telling him, you don't love me, because they would have said, oh, of course I do. He said, okay, if you want to be perfect, if you want to be perfect, this whole idea of the man was trying to enter into the kingdom by keeping of the law or works and to enter the kingdom by works you have to be perfect so Jesus says if you want to be perfect sell your possessions give away to the poor then come follow me if the man actually wanted Jesus he would have said okay that's it take it you can have it because I actually want eternal life but the Bible says the man walked away sad because he had many possessions or as I like to phrase it, many possessions had him. Because whatever you can't let go of has a hold on you. And perhaps you're in this room and you're like, I'm at 12 conference because there's, I, I want to have 
the kind of encounter that I can sit up under a piano for four hours and feel like minutes. And I've never had one. I can tell you, you're not going to get it by staying the way you are. It's going to cost you because the second invitation has gone out. Jesus is saying, it's ready. You are not going to die until you see. God's not going to allow you to plant this much seed and not see a harvest for the seed. Thank you for joining us today at the Dwell Church Podcast. For more information about Dwell Church, visit us at dwell.church.